Good evening. Ladies, thank you. Amen. Thank you, thank you. You came here this evening to meet who? That was very underwhelming. I'm sorry. Come on now. You came here to meet who? Ladies, thank you so much again. That's a beautiful reminder why we're here. Uh, you are full of information. Your minds are stuffed. You're lethargic from eating too much mental food, and that's why you gave me such a sleepy response. Have you had fun? And you've learned a lot? And you're ready to come back next year? Amen. Well, I'm grateful to be with you, and I'm grateful it's Sabbath. Last night, we talked about what? Out, but not. This evening, I want to invite you to be a believer, because they couldn't enter into rest, and today is the Sabbath, the day of rest. I want to invite you to enter in. But I invite you to believe that Jesus Christ offers to you and to me through his invitation of come, the invitation of rest. Would you find it with me this evening? Would you seek it with me this evening? I need another. Well, we're not ready yet here. <laughs> let's, let's not repeat last night. Out but not in, going but not what? And the invitation, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you. You want that? You seek that? With me, right now. Amen. Am I working you over too much? Okay. Let's have a prayer. Would you bow with me as far as it's possible in prayer? Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for the Sabbath. The invitation not to keep a day. The invitation not to refrain from certain activities. But the invitation to come and to find rest in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, it is not a day we seek. It is not a day we need. It is a person. It is you in whom we find rest tonight. Lord, that scripture makes me think, Lord, thank you for reminding me that there is no rest in me to offer anyone here. And it is my, my request for myself that through me, you would offer rest to all of us, including myself tonight. And that would, what would be found is not man, but God not the offerings of men, the words of men, but those from the lips of the Most High. So Lord, please help me lay myself aside and remember my own need of you tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Make sure that the clicker works. Helps if you turn it on. Great, wonderful. I told you last night, this evening, we talked about you can keep the, I want the milk and honey. We'll build on last night, out but not in, going but not coming. 
in the wilderness because they chose to wander there. God gave them manna as a supplement. But you can keep the manna. Give me the milk and honey. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 to 3, that the Israelites took their journey from Elam and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the, which month? Second month. You'll remember that the Passover day started their year on the 14th day of the first month. You'll remember in the scripture that it says that on the morning of the 15th day, they were to be packed and ready to depart from Egypt. This is exactly 30 days after the Israelites had departed from Egypt. And the whole congregation, the Scripture says, the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto God, Would to God, oh God, I wish we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. 30 days in, I wish I was dead. Why? Because they remembered the flesh pots and being able to eat bread to the full. So they said, Moses, you have brought us into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. You know, it's amazing to me that just 30 days in, they had forgotten the entire promise. They had forgotten the promise, not of hunger, not to starve in the wilderness. But God says, I give you a good land. I'm going to take you out of the land of Egypt and I'm going to offer you a, a land of agricultural plenty. A land that drips and flows with milk and honey. You know, I wish I could say that I wasn't so short-sighted and so short-thinking and so short of memory 30 days in to think that God had turned His promise of milk and honey into a promise of starvation and death by famine. Mm. 30 days in, and the pain in their belly was starting to rumble. As their provisions they had packed along with them had started to run a little bit thin. You ever been to the point in life where you're starting to run a little thin? You've packed with you all the provisions that human capacity will allow you, but it's just not quite enough, and you're starting to feel a little bit of hunger in your soul, and instead of saying, hey, Lord, 30 days in, it's time for the milk and honey, they say, Lord, I'm hungry. Why'd you bring me here to kill me? Oh, Lord, I wish I wasn't like that. But you know God's gracious? At one Amen. The rest of you think that God's a God of justice. Side note, is God a God of justice first or God of mercy first? So he chose to describe himself, the Lord, the Lord your God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness, truth. He describes him that way, himself that way first and then only secondly says, oh, and by the way, I won't let the guilty go free. But he's not a God of justice first. He's a God of grace first. And they're sitting here complaining about being hungry. And not one of them said, hey, Lord, you promised us milk and honey. They said, oh, we're hungry. You brought us out here to die in the wilderness. God's gracious. I gave you a second chance. God is gracious. And he gave them manna. 
sitting out on the ground that morning, Exodus 16, verse 15, it's not on the screen, sitting on the ground that next morning was lying manna, and they all looked out their tent window and said, what is that? And you know that manna literally means, what is it? So apparently it was good to eat because they started eating it. It tasted like honey, the Bible says. How many of you like honey? Aren't you so glad that God didn't give them quinoa? <laughs> Say, I like quinoa. Yeah, well, I bet you put honey in it, didn't you? I'm not trying to be humorous, but 30 days, they were hungry. God gave them something sweet to eat. God gave them something sweet to eat. The children of Israel packed up their bags. The Bible says they went to Mount Sinai. They spent almost a year at Mount Sinai. About 11 months is what we can gather from Scripture. And after getting the Ten Commandments and seeing Moses' face glow and all the wonderful things in Mount Sinai, the Scripture says in Numbers 10, it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from off the tabernacle of the testimony, and the children of Israel took their journeys out of the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud rested in the wilderness of Panan, Paran. It goes on to say here that from the time they departed the mount of the Lord, Sinai, they journeyed for three days, three days journeying from Mount Sinai, and they ran into a problem. The problem was that some of the Egyptians that had left Egypt with them, what the Bible calls the mixed multitude, fell a-lusting, not for women, for food. And the children of Israel wept again and said, who shall give us what they want this time? See, they had food, now they had manna. But they didn't like what is it. They wanted flesh. And they said, verse 5, we remember the fish which we did eat and free. Oh, the fish. Mmm. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Thinking about all those things put together. And that man's wife had cooked up a beautiful dish. And he's thinking back on how sweet that lovely cooking tastes in Egypt. And then he opened his eyes after daydreaming and he says, what is this stuff? But our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this. What is it anyway before our eyes? Any of you here in the mixed multitude? Any of you here have difficulties with uh, what your lovely wife puts on the plate? Any of you picky eaters? Let's be honest. 30 days eating the same thing, even if it did taste like honey. How many of you can eat the same thing 30 days in a row? I actually got hands here. That's impressive. I'd like to know what you're eating. Many of us are blessed with good wives and good cooks in our home, but 30 days of the same thing, three meals a day, or if you're a two-meal-a-day person, they weren't happy. 
And so in Numbers chapter 11, we won't put the text on the screen, but God gave them what they asked for. God gave them flesh to eat. They weren't happy with manna. Here again, we find in the story that no one said, hey, Lord, you know, the manna, it's been a year now, Lord. It's been a year now. Um, where's the milk and honey? Isn't it time, Lord? Isn't it, aren't we, can we go in yet? No, the unfortunate thing is, instead of thinking about moving forward, they thought about going backwards. I said to you last night, out but not in, going but not coming, and my friends, you cannot stay in one place. If you stop in the wilderness, the human mind resorts to thinking so often to backwards. little note about farming. I was reading a botany book years ago. Not that old. It make it sound like it was forever ago. Reading a botany book a couple of years ago. And the guy said the most amazing thing. He says, you know that a plant is botanically dead the moment it stops growing? Yeah, you and I think that a plant is dead when we look at it and it's brown. But he said, yeah, that's not really the case. He says, the moment cellular division stops inside the plant, it is biologically dead. And it only takes a matter of time to reveal in the brown outward appearance of the plant what had happened long before inwardly. I said the same thing you just said. I said, wow. The danger of not growing. The danger of Laodicea. The danger of not being willing to move in is that you will eventually move out. Why didn't somebody say, Lord, it's time. Where is it? Where's the milk? Where's the honey? Again, the title this evening, You Can Keep the Manna. I want the milk and honey. Numbers chapter 12, verse 15. Short chapter after what previously happened, Miriam had complained about Moses marrying an Ethiopian woman, and I'm only saying this, this is this verse here, because it says that they had to wait for seven days after Miriam caught leprosy and had to be quarantined for the camp. Seven days. I just want you to remember that number. Seven days. How many days? Seven days. And then we come to Numbers chapter 13. Immediately after Miriam was uh, allowed back into the camp, then Moses sent out the 12 spies into the land of Canaan. And Numbers, Numbers tells us that they went in for 40 days. They were in there and the children of Israel were eating what? While the 12 spies were in the land of milk and honey. Numbers 13 verse 27. Scripture says the people were in, uh, whoops, got ahead of myself. And they told him, the spies, they came and said, we came unto the land where you sent us, and surely it is a, man, a land flowing with milk and honey, and this, and he held up right there in their hands, this is the fruit of it. They came back saying, look, we saw it. Oh, by the way, here's what it looks like. Oh, by the way, we've been eating it for the last 40 days. What have you been eating? 
you know, I'm being a little bit dramatic, but I am sure, I am sure, I am sure that if you and I were one of those spies and we had a little bit of manna, well, it didn't store, so they didn't have any manna. You follow what I'm saying? You follow that? When they left the camp and went into the land of Canaan, they didn't have manna collect. So for 40 days, those guys, it took them a really long time. Do you wonder why? <laughs> These guys were eating in the land of milk and honey, grapes and all the stuff that they listed, thinking about, man, I really like this, and those guys are eating manna. Should we go back? Ellen White says when they heard the report, the people were enthusiastic. They would eagerly obey the voice of the Lord. They were what? They were enthusiastic. They would eagerly obey the voice of the Lord and go up, what she say? At once. Do you know when you have an experience with God and you tell somebody about it, the very first thing that, that God tells them, whispers to them in their ear, is go get it. Do you know the power of an experience when you have an experience with God that's milk and honey, and you tell someone what's just happened to you, the very first thought they have, you've thought it yourself many times. I want that too. I want that too. The power of influence. When one person goes in, the 12 spies, when they go in and they had that experience, and they came back and told the people the experience they had, the very first thought of the multitude is, let's go. Let's go. Oh, but some of you are like me. And I'm a little bit like the uh, Israelites. My mind starts to thinking, well, tell me about the logistics. Well, let's, let's, that sounds a little too rosy. Could you tell me a little bit more? You see, when something sounds too good to be true in America, it often is, well, too good to be true. And they came back with this glowing report and even presented the evidence of it. But then the 12 spies had some division. And 10 of the spies, she says, going on, enlarged upon the difficulties and dangers that lay before the Israelites should they undertake the conquest of Canaan. And in a moment, the whole multitude changed their mind. An unfortunate reality here is that as powerful as the influence of a person is in favor of right, it is so often the case that the power of influence for the wrong wins the day. I would ask you, how's your influence? When you have a new convert, someone who has an experience with God, someone who's, who's had an answer to prayer, someone who's seen amazing things, do you discourage them by being an unbeliever? I hope not. I hope not. Scripture says in Numbers 14, the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. and The people wept all that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had what? 
died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness. And wherefore the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey, were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, listen to what he says. He says, the land which we pass through to search it is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us where? Into. Thank God for Caleb's. Thank God for Joshua's. Who in opposition to the voice of skepticism say, don't forget, it's good. How many of you here have had, had a sweet relationship with Jesus Christ? In the voice of dissent, what a powerful testimony to say, no, 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 no. I know Jesus. And He's good land. If the Lord delight in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. I wish that someone in the congregation had said, hey, let's go. Yeah, we've been waiting. I've been eating manna for the last year. Let's go. Sad reality is, they went home that night and decided that they weren't going in and wished they had died in Egypt. Even God became discouraged with them and told them now the bad news. Forty years and they would all be dead in the wilderness except for their children. I can use my imagination a little bit and I thought to myself, you know, some guy went home that night and in his disappointment, sitting at his tent table, tried to satisfy his soul with some food. And his wife offered him and he did a little bit of mental math. And said, wait a second. God just said, I've got to eat this for 40 more years. And some kid woke up the next morning, Mommy, I'm hungry. Do I really have to eat this for 40 years? You remember I told you last night, they didn't like the idea of not going into the promised land all of a sudden. And I'm sure that the thought of what is it played a little bit of influence on their mind and said, you know what? I'm just not eating this for 40 years. Nope, mm -mm, not me. Hey, let's go get the land. What do you think? You go with me? Come on, you really want to eat this? Come on, do you, do you really want to eat this for 40 years? I mean, we're, we're right here. Let's go. Will you go with me? Come on, will you go with me? So they tried to do with human power last night. I told you what God had offered to do with divine power. They decided, oh, wait, wait, there's consequences. I got to eat this stuff for 40 years. 
Well, let's go. Yeah, oh, yeah, we better go. It was too late. Never can you accomplish with human power what God promises to perform by his own strength. Never. You see, this manna stuff, if I can call it stuff, was never meant on God's part to be permanent. The problem with the Israelites, the problem with human nature, Lord, please forgive me, is we're not very easy to obey. Deuteronomy 8, chapter 8, verse 3, tells us why God gave man. I want you to listen very carefully. God says, He humbled thee and suffered you to hunger, Moses speaking, and fed you with manna, which you didn't know what it was. Neither did your fathers know that He might make you know that man doesn't live by what? Bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. Verses 16 and 17, Moses goes on, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers didn't know that he might humble you. You know the manna, the funny thing about manna is it wasn't meant to make them happy. It was meant to humble them. You say, well, wait, wasn't the manna, I think, I think the psalm says, manna, God gave them angel food. Angel food. Uh, one problem. I'm a human being. I'm not an angel. I'm glad the angels like it. But the Bible calls it angel's food. And I'm not just being humorous. God gave it to them to humble them. Not because it's what he wanted them to have. God gave it to them to humble them, to test them so he could give them good at the end. What was the good thing at the end, by the way? Milk and honey. And you say in your heart, you wanted to prevent them from saying this, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You know, once you're converted, that's just strange things that happen. I told you about it a little bit last night. It's strange things happen. After you meet Jesus, you come and fall in love with Jesus. You get in the culture of the church. And after a little bit of time, all of a sudden, you start to think, hey, I'm pretty good. Keep the Sabbath. Put some money in the offering that was collected this evening. Homeschool my kids, maybe. Don't eat between meals. Believe Jesus is coming soon. Yeah, I'm all right. But God gives you manna to humble you, to humble me, to test me, to remind me that it's his power and the strength of his hand that gives you all things. It's his strength that got them out of Egypt. It was to be his strength and their faith in his strength that got them into the promised land. Ellen White makes a comment on this. She says, even in providing their food, God sought their highest good. The manna with which he fed them in the wilderness was of a nature to promote physical, mental, and moral strength. That's pretty cool, isn't it? But you'll notice she does not say it was meant to satisfy them. I've been reading a book recently called The Saving Life of Christ by Major Ian W. Ian Thomas. Anybody ever read this book? No, nobody here. Oh, got one person. Good book. 
the saving life of Christ. He wrote those 40 years. In other words, they were never satisfied for the manna was given only to what? Sustain life, but never to satisfy because God never intended for them to be satisfied where? In the wilderness. You see, if God gave them something that would make them happy, they'd be content to stay where they are instead of going where? In. So God gave them just enough to sustain them without giving them enough to make them satisfied. Angels' food might be good for angels. But it's not the food that God promised them. He promised them milk and honey. Milk and honey. You can have the manna. But I want more. I want more than angel food. I want the milk. I want the honey. Do you? You know, I want to end with a couple of thoughts. What about their kids? The most tragic thing about the wilderness experience is that parents who were willing to stay in the wilderness kept their kids in the wilderness too. What about their kids? Joshua chapter 5. Scripture says it's one too far, sorry. Trying to keep my computer on the same page as the screen. Joshua chapter 5, And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. See, they had crossed the Jordan River now. They were into the land of Canaan. And they did eat the old corn. This is King James. That means stored grain. They did eat the stored grain of the land on the day after the Passover. Unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna, what did it do? The manna ceased. As soon as you learn to go in, God no longer has a need to humble you. As soon as you learn that you can be satisfied in Jesus Christ and you learn that nothing else will really satisfy you, your desire to be satisfied by other things goes away. So the manna ceased. The need for humbling them was over. It was gone. They had gone in and God took the manna away. After they'd eaten the stored grain, neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat the fruit of which land? The land of Canaan that year. Not that year, right then. Right then. I'll ask you about those kids. Those kids for 40 years had been forced to live in a wilderness because their parents chose to live there for themselves. This is a conference on agriculture, and I want to make an application to something about our youth and agriculture, and then we'll pray and be done. What about their kids? You know, the biggest objection that I hear to agriculture being included in our schools and in our programs is, number one, that agriculture is a lot of hard work. I would say to you that being unsatisfied with the wilderness and just merely being sustained is a lot harder than the hard work of agriculture. I would say to you that being unfulfilled and being forced to confinement in a place where you don't belong is a harder experience than all the sweat a hard piece of ground can produce from your body. The other objections I hear about agriculture is that's culturally dated. 
Oh, Ellen White wrote that because that was their culture. 80% of them lived in the country anyway. Of course they farmed and ate off the land. And I don't think that Moses gaining a glimpse of God face to face in the wilderness had anything to do with cultural dating. I don't think that Elijah being prepared or Elisha being prepared or David being prepared for their calling had anything to do with cultural preferences. Do you? You hear the objection, well, well if, if, we, if we take less time for study in our schools and get the kids out and, and active with their hands, won't we suffer academically? Won't our accrediting agencies be unhappy with us because we're de-emphasizing academics? Let me tell you something. The world is caught up and surpassed the church. Fresno Adventist Academy is accredited by the Western Association of Schools and Colleges. Anybody familiar with WASC? Okay, you are now. How many of you are familiar with WASC? The Western Association of Schools and Colleges is the regional accrediting body for educational institutions on the West Coast. You have a different one over here and a different one in the Midwest. And when, when, when the um, school is audited every couple years, school has to explain their program, the school has to explain what they're doing with the kids. And so when we explained to them what we were trying to do with the garden, you know what they said? Wow. They had no objections. You know, in the state of California, as liberal as it is, California is actually encouraging teachers and schools to start gardens. Because many people are starting to pick up on the fact that actually kids learning hands-on actually improves their desire and their ability to learn. It's kind of a funny thing. Actually, Ellen White says that. Much can now be gained in connecting labor with schools. The students will acquire in following this plan elasticity of spirit and vigor of thought and can accomplish more mental labor in a given time than they could by study, what? Alone. In other words, hands-on learning makes you smarter. It makes you a better student. It makes you better mentally. And they can leave their schools with their constitutions unimpaired with strength and courage to persevere in any position in which the providence of God may place them. You see, the unwillingness to incorporate agriculture into our educational program, and don't think that I'm talking about brick-and-mortar schools, the unwillingness to incorporate agriculture into our home schools, our church schools, any school, any educational program, is keeping our kids in the wilderness. It's teaching them to merely sustain themselves but to never be satisfied. It's teaching them that manna, angels, food, those provisions that God gives you just to keep you alive is merely all that life is about when God's promised milk and honey. I want to share something that's disturbing to me. And I hope that you will be disturbed by it too. In the Seventh-day Adventist church, Immediately after graduating from high school, more than 50% of our young people leave the church. That's a conservative number. You know, the result of parents, I'm a parent, by the way. I've got two kids at home, a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old. The result of me living my life in the wilderness 
Is my children learning that living in the wilderness is just what God wants? And so our children look at us living in the wilderness, lukewarm Christians, out but not in, gone somewhere but coming nowhere. And they say, you know, is this really all that church is about? Is this really the God we worship who was good enough to get us this far but not quite good enough to get us all the way in? And just like the Israelites in the story, someone says, hey, let's just go back to Egypt. Let's just go back. Let's just go back. You should be disturbed. You should be unsatisfied. We shouldn't be entirely discontent, frustrated, agitated, and whatever adjective you could throw at it with the idea that our young people are leaving the church in mass. If you are high school age or younger, stand up in this room. High school age or younger, stand up in this room. Come on, high school age or younger, stand up in the room. No, no, keep standing up. Everybody stand up. High school age or younger. Look around. And pick half of them. And tell them to leave. Pick half of them. Look at your children standing in front of you. Look at your youth standing beside you and force yourself to pick half and tell them to leave. But in our church, I'm not trying to be, listen to me, I know this is on audioverse, I know this is on video, I'm not trying to be rude, I'm not trying to be critical, I'm not trying to be a doomsdayer, I'm not trying to be any of those things. It is a well-known, established fact, denominational research from Andrews University conference administrators, educators, we all, if you're in the business, know that our kids are leaving and nobody or few people are asking why. You kids can sit down now. I want to end with a quote. Ellen White, I have been led to inquire must all that is valuable in our youth be what? Sacrificed in order that they may obtain an education at the schools. Then she says, and this is where it's connected to agriculture, this is my whole point this evening, this is the main point this evening, if there had been agricultural and manufacturing establishments in connection with our schools, and competent teachers had been employed to educate the youth in different branches of study and labor, devoting a portion of each day to mental improvement and a portion of the day to physical labor, there would now be a more what? Elevated class of youth to come upon the stage of action, to have an influence in molding society. Instead of being molded by society, our young people with the integration of agriculture and education would leave the school to exert an influence on society that would shape society. You think that Brad Pitt's popular? You think Madonna with her profanity-laced speech right after Trump's inauguration is popular and has influence? But this quote says that a young person trained in the right way has a power of molding society far and above and beyond anything you can see on television. 
She goes on with this here to say, the youth who had graduated such institutions, would many of them come forth with stability of character? They would have perseverance, fortitude. What's fortitude? Strength. Courage. To surmount obstacles. And principles that would not be swerved by wrong influence, however popular. I want to come back to the point. It was never God's intention. It was never the thought in the heart of a loving God to provide for His people that which merely sustains them. God's thoughts, God's plans, God's desires for you and for I are life at its fullest. To go in means to be satisfied. To enter into Christ means to partake of the land of milk and honey. It means to partake of success. It means to partake of satisfaction. It means to partake in the fullness of one's potential desires. It means to experience in the words of Jesus, think not that I am come that they may have life. I am come that you might have life, what? More abundantly. I share with you this evening, not just the story of the Israelites, I share with you the present reality that you today, that I today can enter in. The present reality that the God of power that delivered from the past is the same God today that wants to offer and is capable of bringing you into the land of promise now. That rest is not something to be obtained in heaven. And that angel food is not something you have to wait for when you get there. In fact, what you've been offered is better. And what I have been offered is the highest, the most blissful, the most gracious and the most loving experience that anyone in the universe will ever possess. So much so that the scripture says, the angels long to look into these things. So sweet, so enjoyable is the religion of Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, that the angels feel a certain amount of covetousness for what you have and what God has offered you. And we happily exchange what angels have for what we won't obtain. Do you follow me on that? The angels want what we have been offered, but we often are content to not have what they so passionately desire. The scripture there when it says the angels long to look into these things is the Greek word epithumia. And literally the word epithumia means lust. The angels have a passionate desire for the religion of Christ that can only be described in a word that you and I most often use in sexual connotations. They have such a strong burning desire for what you and I have been given as a promise that they search and seek after those things while many times we are content to merely be sustained in the wilderness of partial belief. Tonight on this Sabbath day,
this Sabbath evening, I want to invite you to enter in. I want to invite you and encourage you to look forward to the land of promise and the offering of sweetness and say, let's go. Lord, you can keep the manna for the angels. You promised me milk and honey. Let us pray. I will happily repeat what you just said. Those of you that stood up earlier in my illustration, even if your parents want to live in the wilderness, you don't have to. And God does want to save all of our children. And if we implement what we are here at this conference to learn about and study about, that promise will be fulfilled in our children. We can make a decision that will influence them to be unpersuadable by the corruption of society around us. Thank you very much. That was a very healthy reminder to end on. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the promise. I want to thank you for the promise of your ability to enter us in. And Lord, I want you to teach us, teach me to hunger and to thirst because the promise is they shall be filled. And Lord, our hunger is not for food. The real hunger of the human soul is not for earthly sustenance. But the heart aches and the soul only to be filled by the sweetness of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we thank you that on this Sabbath day that your invitation is still to come to enter into you through faith and all that you offer. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us, the gift of heaven poured out for us so sweet that the angels desire what Jesus gave to save mankind. Blessed be your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.